Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I'm Michelle, and I have a unscheduled co-host with me. And with me, of course, is Diana. And we have our special guest, one of our favorite Wine, Women, and Words alumni, Scott Wilbanks. Thank you so much for coming back. Hello from New Zealand. <laughs> I know it's so beautiful. He, you, you showed me yeah, the backyard. Okay. I don't know how much goes so up on this. Gorgeous. I'm not going to knock my glass of wine over, but okay, this is what we've got going on over here. <sighs> I am coming to crash on your couch. My husband and I were going to come, and we're going to just crash on your couch, and you're not going to get rid of us. You can have the guest bedroom. What are you talking about? I, listen. We, in the seven years I've been here, we've invited probably five million people to visit, and guess how many people have visited? None. None. Okay, 2019, I'm actually, seriously, I will take you up on this in 19, 2019. I'm not allowed to national trip next year. You're more than welcome. We have a guest, lovely guest bedroom. It has its own ensuite. Our house, not to brag, but our house is so charming. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the picture that you posted of your little reading nook, and I'm so jealous of it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the master bedroom. Uh, the house is the house was built in 1910. It's an old bungalow style house, so it's all wood and it's clapboard. And we have these. See the flooring? It's all this cowrie wood flooring uh, throughout the house. And then um, the kitchen is a rebuild, so the kitchen is actually has this has this blonde wood in it. And the house has all these really nice old details that I just and I just kind of corked it up. Oh, I love the documentaries about the fireplace. I never noticed that. Yeah, that's um, that was the um, wedding present from my parents for, to Mike and me. That's a that's a Dr. Seuss. Oh, oh. And can you tell who that is over there in the corner? Can you see it? I can't tell if it's too far away. I can't see. I think it's a little too far away. Is that Peter Rabbit? Um. Well, hang on. Let me go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Always have to yes, make them show. Now, can you see? Oh, it's a little boy. Is that you? No, that's Cap'n. I drew her. So that, that's what she looked like oh. before she became an orphan. Oh, you drew, so okay, you drew that. What's that? You said you drew that. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, I'll show you some more. Hang on. Okay, so for those of you listening, this is a really great uh, piece of art. I mean, I didn't know Scott was a visual artist as well as this wonderful, wonderful author. Um, I'm gonna keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear a crash, it means it fall over. Okay. Um, so and so for those of you listening, above his uh, mantelpiece is a wonderful. Um, Painting and drawing of Doctor Seuss characters. What are they? They're not the Lorex, Michelle. You know what they're they're called, right? Which ones those are? Uh, You're more familiar with the Doctor Seuss yeah, period right now. Than I I, can, <laughs> I, I, I know them by sight, but I don't forget their. I can't remember their names. Okay, so now this is a magic marker drawing that I did. Okay. About who that is? Oh. Is that Elizabeth? That's Annabelle Astor. <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, that was I got her name wrong. I'm sorry. It's been like what two years? Yeah, no, Elspeth. Oh, I love it. Was her friend. Oh. So this is Annie. And you drew that. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm so jealous of people who can draw. I love watching people draw. I did it. Um, okay, so I have a story behind that. Can I tell a story? Of course. So, of course. With magic markers. <sighs> okay, so who are listening, it's a, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like your stereotypical magic marker. It looks like an actual painting painting. So there's like colors in there. I mean, bloody hell, some people get all the talent. <laughs> all right, so many, many years ago, when I was a kid, um, I had an artistic bent and um, I drew all the time and I took up painting and I thought, well, maybe this will be my vocation because I really, really loved it and I was having success with it and, um, and you know, getting, you know, strokes from all the adults in the room and all that kind of stuff. And then I got involved, um, if you may recall, the last time we talked with gymnastics mm -hmm. and that became my, kind of my career. I, I actually, you know, um, was on the U.S. gymnastics team. And, um, Six months before the Olympic trials in 1988, in 87, excuse me, those were the Olympic trials, I had an accident. And um, for all intents and purposes, um, I severed my left arm off the elbow. Oh, and gosh. yeah, it was pretty, I mean, you can see, they can't see it obviously, because you can see some of the work here and then oh. the rest of it there. It literally just oh, man. and um, I was stabilized that the accident had happened in Baton Rouge at um, what was the name of that stadium? I'm drawing a blank. Um, but what had happened was I had been touring in Australia with the Chinese national team and then I was flown home for this competition and I was jet lagged and I caught a cold on the flight and before and while we were warming up before the competition, I was on high bar. And I was warming up these things called release moves. I don't know if you watch gymnastics, but high bar is the event where. Well, the high bar, you, know, you kind of go around in circles and then okay. you let go of the bar and you flip around and re-grab it. Yes. And I had a series of three of them in this, in this routine. And I had warmed up the first one, I caught it. It was called a reverse hect. And I was doing the second one called, and it's called a ginger. And as I was doing the ginger, there were three little girls down by the high bar and they took a flash photo of me and it blinded me. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I, I missed the bar and what normally happens when you miss the bar is you just simply tuck and roll and you land on your back on, on, the, on this crash pad, they call them crash pads and knocks the air out of you, but it's no big deal. Well, mm -hmm. I had cold, I was jet lagged and I just kept diving. And so I dove 14 feet into the ground and uh, almost all the way went onto my left arm and it basically severed it off at the elbow. Uh, and I won't even give you all the <laughs> details. Uh, it was kind of gross. Uh, but um, they, they stabilized me at the hospital there and then flew me out maybe three days later to Houston for, to the Neurosensory Center to go ahead and complete the amputation. And um, my parents intervened, and they had brought in a specialist who basically said, they said, no, we're not going to, you know, we want to try to save it. And he, um, the, the doctor's name was James Bennett, and he was a bit of a big thing. Um, and he, I was his guinea pig. Mm -hmm. And he put it back together. It was an eight-hour operation. Oh, and but, but the problem was, 
Um, they found my ulnar nerve wrapped around my arm twice and had been stretched out like a, maybe three or four extra inches. And so they, so they assumed that the nerve had severed within the sheath. And um, there was a lot of nerve damage. Yeah. Um, I did not pick up a paintbrush or a pencil again for um, almost 30 years. Wow. Must be great wow. too. And while I was um, working on the, um, while I was doing the doing a query stage with with Lemon Collie Life, the Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor, um, I just took a little break and I wanted to create a storyboard for mm -hmm. the novel. And so I just drew this very simple drawing, and I thought, well, that worked. So then the next drawing I did was a little bit more complex, and then the next one was a little more complex than that. And then I started, you know, graduating to these. And like, here's one that I did from Mike. Uh, he always has unique and new So that's another magic marker drawing. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Can you see it? Yes. Well, that's beautiful. No, I, call it, I call it free falling with Vincent. Because <laughs> oh. I have that parachute um, floating into a, a Vincent Mango landscape. That is gorgeous. Oh, gorgeous. So anyway, so that was the thing, and um, I, you know, that I just, and I'm actually doing some, a little bit of work for the new book, and just kind of slowly putting it all together, but it's just, it became a thing. I just, you know, when, um, when I need a little bit of a, um, a sanity break from the actual writing, I'll, I'll, I'll draw a little bit, or I'll paint, and they seem to, they seem to now be finding their ways into my novels. <laughs> Now, if only I could put my knitting into my novel. That, that's <laughs> my, if I need a visual break to sit down, sometimes you just need that visual time to just sit down and just not think about the words. Uh, for right. me, knitting. I can just, I'll sit down and I will knit and I'll work on a piece and nothing else will enter my mind except making sure I don't slip a stitch. Um, so that's my thing. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's amazing, amazingly therapeutic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I started. I taught myself how to knit when um, Ryan was first deployed. The first time he deployed, um, he went to Egypt for a month, and I was like, "All right, I am here in the middle of Texas. I know <laughs> nobody. My closest friends are three hours away from me. I'm gonna teach myself." A hobby. I'm gonna pick up something new, and so I learned how to knit. I started to teach myself. I was awful, and did you, I just like, kept. Um, did you like get a book that says you know knit one pearl two that type of thing or? Yeah, that kind of thing, and that's how I taught myself how to knit. And then I just kept practicing, and I kept doing it. I remember he came home, and I was like, oh, "Honey, I needed you a bookmark," <laughs> and he was like, "That's a bookmark." <laughs> yes, can't you tell? That's bookmark of. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I kept with it and I kept knitting and Michelle's seen some of my stuff. I think you might have some of my stuff, Michelle. I do have some of your stuff. What did she knit for you? What did, I have a pair of gloves, like the fingerless gloves. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's finally asleep, thank God. Um, and what else did you knit? I think I have a scarf. Probably a scarf. Um, I'll do a lot of scarves when I'm writing because that takes, it doesn't take that much time. And in fact, I've actually got a long-term project that I'm working on and I'm seeing if I have it nearby. Um, 
am actually working on a patchwork blanket of different uh, purple yeah. and green. Let me see if I've got it. Um, I, I feel so uncreative. <laughs> I don't have a visual to, to visual yeah. art to speak to in between my writing. Take care of. <laughs> my artwork and my my books are my babies. <laughs> right now, it's buried underneath about three other bins of yarn. Because I mean, if for those who, if you haven't seen my closet, um, I've got let's see here one, two, three, four, five, six, about seven or eight plastic bins of different colored yarn. I've got my yarn all separated by color. Um, oh, okay. okay. This is a blanket I've been working on off and on that I've got. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's, a, um, it's still very small. For those of you listening, it's basket weave, so you might not be able to see it. It's just a simple simple blanket that I just sit down and knit and, and do it. And it was funny. Mm -hmm. I was teaching friends once. And we were at like a little restaurant outside and um, I lifted up the blanket because they're, they're practicing their stitches. So I just pick up my work and I pick it up and I start uh, knitting. And then um, and somebody walks and then my friends are like, what, did you, what are you knitting? And I was like, well, I'm working on this. And I pick it up and I hold it out to them to use it as an example. And somebody walks by and I hear, whoa. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> just this little piece. This is still like you know, mid-grade for, for knitting. This isn't like, I see like the really fine stuff and I'm like, the, my stuff's not the really fine stuff. One of my fondest memories of my grandmother um, was um, she would knit Afghans for us. Mm. And um, I still have, um, I still have my Afghan, um, but it's, she always knitted them in a, like that V configuration. Yes. Yeah, I've got one that was my husband's, grandmothers that she did very cool was it the same thing was it that kind of yeah just that kind of stairway zigzag yeah the exact same yeah. um and um mine was blue and green and black mm -hmm. so i still and my brother's was um these different colors of burgundy mm. and my sisters had yellow and something in it oh and you know what I, i've got this so i went to this thing um earlier this year to a conference called the Pulpwood Queens Conference. Mm -hmm. And one of the criterion um, or requirements if you go to the conference, and it's a big conference, is you mm -hmm. have to have a tiara. <laughs> Even the authors that speak at the conference have to have a tiara, and I didn't have one. So one of the ladies who came to the conference did one for me. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> that is like the best thing ever. It's one of my, it's like one of my favorite things in the world. That <laughs> That's <is amazing>. awesome. <laughs> that and look, she she knitted in the you know the little rhinestones. Yeah, and that's some that's some good work there on her part. Yeah, I just I just love it. I did a um, a keynote speech and I wore it during the speech. <laughs> Okay, so you have to ask, what's everybody drinking tonight? You start. Okay. Uh, well, I came across this one randomly at the grocery store, and knowing that you're coming on the show, it kind of made me think of you, Scott. It's uh, called Pie in the Sky. <laughs> How wonderful. So well, what is it then? It's a red. 
It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's from Australia. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, okay, that's something that Scott would totally say. And it just it made me think of him and, and you and all this stuff. And yeah, it's very berry flavored. I'm not used to a cab being so berry flavored. Well, I am going with my with the one I always get. Um, except I'm getting I got a Shiraz this time, and I get that I get that clean skin hmm. that I told you about last time. Yeah. It's when you go the fancy schmancy wineries mm -hmm. with their when they get to the end of their allotment or something, they um, and they can't create a full allotment. They pool them together, and they create this brand called Clean Skin. Mm. And um, and you get it for like a third of the price. <laughs> and they're always and they any of those in in, in uh, France when we were we were there. So we were just there. Yeah, I think, so it's it's a thing. And the, yeah. well, the, well, the thing is, they don't want it to be since they're kind of mixing their um, they're using the same grape, but since they're mixing their um, Vintages, um, they don't want to put a brand name on it, so they give it an esoteric name, and they just call it Clean Skin. Mm -hmm. And then they all pull together. And it was a, um, it was like a commune where they ever they collected everybody's grapes, and so they yeah. made grapes from that. They probably didn't have that. Maybe the other place we went to, it was an independent one. They probably they they could have had something like that. That was where I got my my mold wine from. Oh, okay, so, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, the noble noble grape. Okay, Michelle, would you? What wine are you yeah. drinking? I sat down, and then someone crawled into my lap and wouldn't let me get up. So mm -hmm. I didn't get the chance to pour wine. So I'm just drinking sparkling water tonight. <laughs> oh, you're making us. Oh no. Well, That's at so least I'm drinking alone. So. Yeah, yeah. We'll have we'll have a toast too. <laughs> And I did just try to pass him off, and as soon as I tried to pass him off, he woke up. So, oh, how old is he? Um, he just turned two. <laughs> so, still looks so yeah. yeah, he's, he's there's that whole independent-mindedness of being two. My, my mom called it the terrible twos. Is it? Are you experiencing? Oh my gosh! He to give you an idea. I mean, he's he's the sweetest little boy in the world, but. Um, he's definitely starting to get a little, a little more stubborn. He just maybe ten minutes before I started set, setting everything up, he took me by the finger and led me upstairs and led me into his room. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe he wants to lay down. Maybe I'll go to sleep. <coughs> so he led me over to his bed, and I sat down in his bed. And then he looked at me and turned around and walked out of the out the room and shut the door behind him. And um, locked me in his room, sitting in the dark. So, he did and, not want you to do the show. And, well, and like, and his, you know, Rich had just gotten home like ten minutes before that. I was like, well, I guess he just wants alone time with his dad, and he doesn't want me interrupting. So <laughs> that's too funny. Oh my yeah, god. But I was telling Diana last week, this is my proud mom moment, Di uh, my daughter Lily had her first like feminist statement that you so just like, it was a, a mic drop moment for her. Um, she, whoa, yes, like <laughs> that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little drafty in here. Keep talking, I can hear. 
So we, my mom had bought the kids an electric car that, you know, with the remote control, that they could drive all over the house and scare the dog. And one of the neighbor kids was over, and my mom asked um, the, the neighbor kid, Elijah, if he had figured out how the control works. And he goes, yeah, I figured it out. And she goes, oh, well, you're a guy, so, so you, you know these things. And then two minutes later, Lily goes, here, Elijah, let me do it, because sometimes girls can do things, too. <laughs> I know. And <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's three. Oh, wow. Just for her. I know. I'm so screwed. <laughs> Showing those administrative skills very early in uh, her education. And she, she already knows how to like delegate and negotiate. She is a top negotiator. You got a little CEO on your hands. Do you have memories from when you were three? I don't know if they're actual memories or if they're just me remembering stories that people have told me about me. I actually have, I actually have some. I have one. I have a really, oh, it's a really bad one. Okay, you're going to get a kick out of this stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so when I was young, my, my dad went bald very early. Mm -hmm. Um. And he was, I think, he was maybe 25 when he had me. So he was bald by the time he was 30. And I remember being in my aunt's, in my aunt's house. And he had, he used to wear a toupee. And what, and at the time it was just kind of like, you know, they'd really secured on. So it would be like Velcroed on. Oh, yeah. And I, it was the first time. I had ever seen him with the toupee and I remember I kept lifting up the toupee and looking at him <laughs> and putting it back down <laughs> and just couldn't have the, my, the, my, the, the fact around my dad now had hair. Yeah, yeah. It was just so awkward for me and, I, my, and I, I remember that and what I don't remember is my mother telling me that I also tried to put my toys in between it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. for storage. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I can put stuff in there now. Listen, you have no idea how traumatizing it is to go bald. You just don't. I can believe it. <laughs> I don't know what my dad went through with it. I remember um, he used to have it sewn on, which is where you uh, actually yeah, yeah they braid the side of the hair and like this little tiny braid and they sew it on. Um. And I remember I was a kid, obviously a kid, and I remember her, my mother telling my grandmother that he had started doing that. And they're divorced at the time, so my mother, of course, finds this funny. And I remember sitting in the backseat of the car while she's telling my grandmother then, thinking, wow, I've got the bravest dad in the world. Because I'm thinking he's sticking his head under a sewing machine and he's having this big sewn on his head directly into his scalp. He's so tough. I used to think the same thing when they would tell you that. I used to think the exact they sew it. I was just, yeah, I was wigged out by that whole, you know, yeah, idea. No pun intended. You know, I remember when um, I first found out that I was losing my hair, and it was just, it was traumatizing. It was really, really, and I found out on Halloween. I, I mean, remember you, you know, told the story, yeah. 
worst time to find out. Well, I mean, I guess it could be a worse time, but yeah. And especially when your sister tells you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a yeah, bummer. And it's just like, I remember my stepmom was cool with him wearing the toupee because she was like, it gives him confidence. Whatever makes him happy makes me happy. And it just makes him yeah. happy. And he wasn't one of those guys who was weird about it where, um, you know, he would, it would look, yeah, he didn't do the comb over. It yeah. didn't. It matched his hair color perfectly. Um, it when once he started to go gray, that's when he decided no more. Yeah, yeah. I, I just you know I couldn't deal with any of that. I just I just I literally walked into the bathroom, got a pair of clippers, and just buzzed the whole head. At, you know, one day I just like I, I just can't deal anymore. Just buzzing, no. and I have not, and I've just buzzed it ever since. So my husband, because I think because of the military. He his hair gets to maybe about an inch, and he starts freaking out about it being too long. He's like, "Oh my god, I gotta <laughs> shave my head!" Because he buzzes his hair, and yeah. he's like, I gotta "Shave my hair! I, I gotta shave my head!" And it's, it's too much. It's too long. And I'll like talk him into getting it to like I've got him to grow it out to maybe two inches. And he's wow. just like, "I can't! I can't keep it down! I've got calyx! I can't do this! I can't do this!" And he like goes into panic mode. <laughs> Rich is going to be the opposite. He's he's counting down. I mean, he still has at, at least six years left. Um, but he's already said it. The first year when I'm out, I'm not getting a haircut. I'm not shaving for a year. And <laughs> Brian stopped shaving. That was the thing that he did. He stopped shaving. I love guys with facial hair, and I married a guy who was in the military who couldn't have facial hair. And it was this just the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> I feel, I keep trying to get mine to grow out his hair. He won't do it. <laughs> he, he 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 cuts his hair high and tight, just like in the military. Uh huh. And I am the same. I love beards. He won't grow uh -huh. a beard. He cuts his uh, hair high and tight. He has a little, really tight little goatee, and that's about it. So Ryan will keep the goatee, and it's, it isn't a tight goatee. It's a you know full on goatee. And sometimes he'll just go full beard because he just gets lazy, and I'm okay with it. I'm, I don't care if he shaves or not. As long as he doesn't go lumberjack, I'm okay. Huh? I like lumberjack, too. i got to open this door. It's getting hot in here. Sorry. I, I don't like lumberjack. You know, when it first started coming out and being popular, I used to like it. But then I stopped. It's when... getting a little affected these days. You know, people are, you know, it, this whole beard perfection and, you know, mapping and mowing it and, you know, and, and it, yeah, it's when you, yeah, it's getting a little too um, tidy and yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so. trendy. And, you know, and there was also this thing that I started to notice where I don't know if it was just the fact that only douchebags wore lumberjack beards or the lumberjack beards made the guys douchebags. <laughs> There's probably a correlation in there somewhere. There's got to be a correlation because I started noticing it, and that was the first major turnoff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Did you? Did you? Did you come to any conclusions? <laughs> yeah, not yet. I'm still conducting the study. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I need to. I need to gather a bigger pool of, of people. So far, my pool is still very relatively small, including the guy who decided to smack my car as he walked past me on the sidewalk one time. Um, so yeah, <laughs> well, he's definitely in the douchebag column. Well, that, yeah, that when I work, you can't see past 
over the past the sidewalk. So you can't, you have to stick your nose out. And I had stuck my nose out and the guy, he was coming by and he apparently he didn't like the fact that I stuck my nose out. And I, it's slow. I'm cautious because I know what can happen. It's a busy boulevard. And as he walked by, he just smacked the foot of my car and kept walking. And I was like in shock that he actually hit my car. Um, although, and then the curse words started flowing freely. As yeah. Okay. I was wondering because, yeah, I can, I, yeah, that, I can remember something happening to me last time I was in San Francisco and I, I, I kind of lost my plot a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Francisco can be, a, a, there's so much pedestrian traffic in that city. And especially in the area where I stay, I stay, um, I stay in the Castro. My, my friend Steve lives up on the hill above the Castro in this spectacular house. Mm -hmm. And Castro has the most pedestrian traffic in the city. And mm -hmm. if you are trying to turn right, you know, in the, in, in the Castro during rush hour, you have to negotiate it, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, you basically have to inch your way through because the pedestrian traffic doesn't just go with the light, you know, they yeah. overflow into, into the red light and mm -hmm. you get stuck, you know, in, in halfway into an intersection where you become a danger, you know, where you're in, in danger of being clipped by another car. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had that happen a couple of times and I actually, I actually got out of my car once when somebody did that. <laughs> I think there are some cities where you should, there, there shouldn't be vehicles like Paris. When I was in Paris, I'm like, okay, I get why they now want to ban vehicles here because it's like San Francisco. It's so pedestrian and you've got a really great Metro. So you don't mm -hmm. even really need to take but San Francisco car. doesn't. San Francisco doesn't. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't. Paris has an incredible. Like, Paris and London, you can get anywhere. It's like mm -hmm. New York. You can get just about anywhere, you know, on, on the metro, and then walk a couple blocks. It's no yeah. big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but San Francisco just has that one has that one metro line going down the center of the city, and that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Oh, well, it has it has a couple tributaries, but I mean, you just you you know you really you actually do need a car in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, well. San Francisco is about as big as a minute, isn't it? That's so true. You can, if you, you know, if you if you really want to negotiate this, and you can just walk one from one end to the other. Yeah. Every time I've got, I go to San Francisco, I find a place to park my car, and I just walk because I can't handle the hills. Yeah. I think yeah. one time we were, we went to the Chinese district. Mm -hmm. Chinatown. We had Corolla, yeah, Chinatown, and I had my little Corolla with me, which was really old, and we turn a corner. And the hills like straight up, and my husband looks at me. He's like, "I don't think we can make it." And I'm like, well, "We're gonna try." <laughs> and I just, I had my foot all the way to the floor, just trying to make it up this hill. I know exactly. <laughs> I had an, when I first moved to San Francisco um, in 2000. No, in 19. Sorry, 1992. I had a Honda Accord, and you know, they basically have, they basically have a lawnmower engine in them. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I'll never forget. I mean, yeah, you drive up the hills, and it you know it starts up the hill, and then just just goes slower and slower and slower, and you're not sure you're going to make it, mm -hmm. you know, to the crest of the hill. Mm -hmm. um, you think you're going to get out and push the thing, but and um, I had a you know I kind of had a, a little rule, an unspoken rule, that I would not have more than two two passengers in my car because it w w wouldn't make it up some of the hills if there were four mm -hmm. if there were four people in the car. Oh, I can believe it. I can believe it. They're they're in going driving through Louisiana. I don't think I want to drive to Louisiana. Louisiana. Going to over Lake Charles? Have you driven over Lake Charles? Yeah, well, I'm from Lafayette. Hello. 
<laughs> we, when we first moved to Texas, we got this bright idea. It was only seven or eight hours from Temple to New Orleans. And he still had time. He had 10 days off and he was like, okay, if you can pet, if you can unpack everything, get the basics set up for the house, and I have 10 days off, let's drive to New Orleans. And I was like, all right, we're gonna do this. And the previous dogs I had were like not, they were like 10 day old puppies. And we put them in the car with us and we drove to New Orleans. And it was so freaking long. I mean, and there are miles and miles of bridges where you're at the tops of trees. Yes, which yep, yep. For a Californian. And yep. then I remember going up. I want to say it was 99% um, positive. It was Lake Charles where it's like a vertical. You're like vertical going over. on this you're talking about again. It's actually pretty amazing, though. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I'm in, a, I'm in his old Mustang. And he's asleep in, in the seat next to me. And I'm thankful that he's asleep next to me because he hates my driving. And I'm just gassing it, trying to go over, hoping that we don't roll back. And I've got some dude tailgating me behind me. And I was just like, I, um, New Orleans better be awesome. <laughs> I was, you know, when, I, when we were in Louisiana, my dad was in that, you know, that Pontiac, the size of a locomotive, you know, phase mm -hmm. of his life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those panics just, they just roar up those. Yeah. <laughs> those inclines. I mean, I think they could climb a tree, actually. I mean, yeah. they're, 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 you know, that's, you know, the engines are that big. Um, what, what was the other one he had? Oh, um, it was a, God, a, a, a Buick LeSabre. Now, I know nothing about cars. I know nothing about cars. Wait, my brother wait, was a LeSabre, that was in my cousin Vinny, wasn't it? The well, well, I admit, child, that the was it. Was the car for my cousin Vinny, wasn't it? No, no that is a friend's reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew it was something that we watched. <laughs> well, this car apparently had the biggest stock engine in the world in it, and my brother, because it was my my dad's hand-me-down car, and I I was using it to to go to school and to the gym, gymnastics gym where I would train, because that was on the other side of town. And um, all my brother, my brother would say, if anybody asks, tell them it has a 455 four barrel. So that's what I would say. Oh, yeah, it's got a 455 four barrel. People go, ooh, ah, because apparently that was like the size of the engine. But it sounded like it sounded like a thunderstorm. You know, when you when you'd hit the gas pedal, and it was just it was just you know that was the phase my dad had gone through. You know, that was like the consumption era, wasn't it? Uh, well, no, you. Yeah, I mean, the 90s might be a little early for you to really remember. <laughs> well, I mean, you, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was okay, okay. in the 90s. Okay. All right. Well, I was, was in 97. Oh, well, it was the big consumption era, wasn't it? We just loved them bigger and better back then. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Bigger, I better. I liked reading in the 90s. Was that? Yeah, I'm, I'm the baby of the group in this, okay. in this okay. situation. Okay. Yeah, I moved to California in 98. Oh, okay. Oh, so you moved to California when I left California. Yep. I moved to Switzerland in 97. Okay. 97. Yeah, I was graduating high school in 97. 
and I did a year of community college in New York, got myself into a bunch of trouble, and it was determined that my aunt had to talk with my dad and was like, listen, if you don't want to be a grandfather anytime soon, you need to get your daughter out to California because she's making some really stupid decisions. Oh. And so I, by, by um, in May, I started looking, she got me to look at colleges, or actually, I'm sorry, in April, she got me to look at colleges and by June, I was in California. Uh, my stepmother, um, I always call her a saint because she took in an 18 year old who went from having this really, really strict religious structured upbringing to having a, a normal standard yeah. upbringing was like total freedom, loss yeah. of control for me. Yeah. And she took me in and she had toddlers. Her kids were Lily and Landon's age. My sister, I, um, she was, no, my sister was five. And my little brother was three at the time she took me in. And did you, did you, help, take, did you help raise them? Did you help take care of the kids? I helped, just, yeah, I helped the kids. Yeah, I was, I was almost a au pair. I went almost the au pair, but yeah, I was kind of nanny with them. Um, my little brother was the cutest thing when he was little. Um, <laughs> then he got big. And <laughs> um, yeah, I was there with them when they were really little, changing diapers doing everything with them. I remember um, my sister turned 12. We took her, uh, my friend and I took her on our first Disney day, her first girl's day, teenage Aww. girl's day, her first, first big adult day. And the whole time we kept, Van Wilder had just come out. And so we were, everything was write that down. And then we got a kick out of it because she started writing everything down. I <laughs> knew you then, right? Did yeah. I know you then? No? This is the friend and I got married. Oh, okay. Then this I remember right, right around the time he and I got married. You get yeah, you met me after that, after I got back from Texas. That's right. I know it's been so long. Um, but yeah, it was I thought it was really funny until my friend goes, Mind you, my sister's twelve. She goes, Okay, don't have sex until you're at least in college. And I'm driving and we're on our way to Disneyland and my sister's writing it down and I'm thinking, oh my God, my parents are gonna discover this. And so my immediate house, or until you're married. And I'm hitting her going, until you're married. That's too funny. Oh, I mean, God. college I, is like I, a so solid advice. At least you're not saying high school. Yeah, because I mean, really, in high school, does anybody know what they're doing? No. Well, I can, I can say, you know, from personal experience that I hadn't a clue. <laughs> Uh, you know, but you know, my experience was, you know, was different because I was struggling with, you know, with the very strange issue of, of my particular sexuality, you know, and mm -hmm. why I was attracted to all the wrong people, i.e. guys, mm -hmm. and hating myself for it. But I was, I'm actually going to draw a literary um, line here. Have you read the book, um, Little Fires Everywhere? We I have that on our list. It. We just, I just got it. Okay, so funny story. We tried to get her on the show. Um, we tried to get Celeste on the show, but she's not doing any interviews for 2018. But her publicist was like, but I can give you a book. You know, sorry, she can come on the show. Would you like a book instead? And I'm like, sure. So I get a book, and I'm like, okay, Michelle. It's because it's these issues that you're discussing are right in, you know at the core of the mm -hmm. of, of this book it's actually you know the the book actually the entire plot line you know develops is wrapped around these two high school 
well, actually uh, two families, but in particular these two high school girls who are who are um, both you know discovering their sexuality mm -hmm. at the same time, and it's really really fascinating. And yeah, it was a bit. It was kind of eye opening for me. Did, what did you read her first one then? No, I have not read any of her books yet. Okay, um, her first one. Well, excuse me. The, the one the, the one before this, prior to this, is called um, Everything I Never Told You. Mm -hmm. Oh. And, it's one of the most masterful pieces of writing I've ever read. <laughs> I, when I read a book, um, I put them in one of three categories. One, I can't finish this. Two, it's, this is really, really good, I love this. And three, this is so good I hate the author. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and everything I never told you, I was so upset by the time I was two thirds of the way through with, with this book because it was so masterfully written that I just wanted to throw the book out the window because it was so good and so mm -hmm. compelling. And this book is um, this book is just as good. Um, it's a different kind of book. Um, Little Flowers Everywhere is you know it's a different kind of book. But the thing, the saving grace with. Um, everything I never told you, was after I had finished that book and caught my breath, um, I read the acknowledgments, and she starts off the acknowledgments by thanking her agent, um, I think it was Judy Bearer, for being so patient, because it took her six years to write it, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's one of those books that is written so masterfully, it feels like it all came out as a draft. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you, know, you just get the impression that this, this piece of brilliance was written in three months. And when she said, you know, when she said, okay, this mm -hmm. took me six years, I actually felt like I was back in the game a little bit. <laughs> yeah, my book is um, going on four years now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about the last time we were here, you know, Lemon Collie. What's that? I said, hopefully future books won't take as long. Well, listen, unless, okay, Lemon Collie took me nine years from, but that's nine years of stopping and starting, nine years from the, when I wrote the first word to the date of publication. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was an evolution and it was, it was, it was, I used that first book to te really teach myself the craft of writing. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> it doesn't get any Don't easier. Don't tell me that. You know, when I first started, um, um, this this next book, my sophomore effort, um, you know, I, it was all very free form and I was all very excited and I put together a draft. My agent had wanted three chapters and a synopsis because she was going to sell the book. I was, and I was just kind of shocked by the idea that you could actually sell a book before it was actually written. I mean, I was that naive. And um, uh, yeah, I, I won't go through the entire, you know, th through the entire iteration, but I threw out four entire plot lines and probably 400 pages of writing. I threw it away, threw it all away. Uh, until I finally came out, you know, with this particular storyline that I'm absolutely infatuated with. And- I'm infatuated with it too. It's gonna be a great storyline and we're gonna read it here and I can't wait to read it. <laughs> well, be patient because I'm being <laughs> obsessive. I'm really being obsessive. I'm not drafting the way people um, typically draft. I'm actually um, going scene by scene and perfecting the scene before I next move to the next one because I want that 
scene that's being informed by the prior scene to be informed by a perfected scene. Otherwise, it's going to have to write it all over again. So I'm actually writing the book as, you know, each chapter is basically a separate book for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm building, you know, I'm you know, basically, it's like walking up a set of stairs and I don't want to skip a step. And um, so, but I'm now, I'm finally on a roll and I'm up to, I have maybe 250 really, really good pages. Whereas when I wrote Lemon Collie, mm -hmm. I wrote the first, I wrote the first draft 500 pages in three months. Yeah, my first draft was eight months that I wrote that one. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's, when you look back at it, well, and the thing is, when you look back on it, you go, that's kind of cute, isn't it? How naive you were. <laughs> you, wrapping it out, you go, I'm just going at it. This is going to be great. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm getting an agent and I'm moving on. And then yeah, you realize. In the second draft, it's all good. <laughs> second draft, I'll like get an agent. I actually queried a couple times because I'm just that cocky. And yeah. Fifth draft, I've got an editor. I'm close. I'm really close. I can see a light at the end of the tunnel that I can actually get this published before I'm 40. And Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I've got three years. i got three years before I'm 40 to get this damn thing published. Um, and I feel confident enough that I can work on something else. Um, so is it with an editor right now? or? Yeah, it's with an editor. I'm working with a professional editor. Um, actually, she's actually going to be on the show next month. Her name's Holly. Um, she's What's actually her name? written. Uh, her name's Holly Kramer. Um, she runs Acorn Publishing, and she does. Um, she writes her own novels. And in fact, one of the books that she's actually edited uh, just recently made it to the USA Today uh, bestsellers list. Wow! Fantastic. So, yeah, I'm like, yay! I've got this really great editor. Um, I'm going to make it to the USA Today bestseller list too. Because, um, you know, like I said, I'm cocky. Uh, no, you have to think that way. Yeah. You have to think that way. And there's nothing wrong with thinking that way. Yeah, nobody um, else has said that when, because when you're an author, you, you've got to fool yourself into thinking you're writing the best thing ever. Yeah. That you, you can't let yourself think, okay, what I've got coming out is just complete and total crap. You've got to think it's the best thing ever. It's going to be Pulitzer uh, Prize uh, worthy. This is going to be everything. Um, and you have to fool yourself into doing it because otherwise you're not going to sit down and do it. I can't tell you how many acceptance speeches I've made while taking a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Probably as many as I've made on my drive home from work. Really? <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, okay, are you like me where you all of a sudden you kind of you almost slip out of the stream of time and into your little fantasy and you're Absolutely. working and you're working it and you're enjoying it and you're filling it out and the fantasy is becoming embellished it's becoming larger and all of a sudden you're there before the nobel prize committee and you're you know you're speak you know and you're making your acceptance speech and then all of a sudden your fantasy has nowhere else to go and so you're you get sucked back out of that pinhole and you're in the real world yep. and you feel like, and you feel like an idiot yep Yep. But what you've just done, you're like, Absolutely. You, you are my brother from another mother, because seriously, um, that has totally happened with me. <laughs> that is, I, I have done that uh, multiple times. I have won multiple Pulitzers. I have won <laughs> an Oscar. Um, 
and I'm thinking then, Oscar, for this one, because, I mean, I've got the idea from, like, because there's been talk about, you know, yeah, this should, this could make a really great miniseries or television show or movie. And I've got a friend who is very much within the Hollywood scene, and she and I were talking about it, and she's like, if you want to do pilot, because this would make a good pilot for, like, a television show, you need to write the pilot. You need to do a draft of the pilot. And I'm like, I don't know how to write a script. I don't know how yeah. to do this. this matter. Learn. You're, you're work, you've got time between your, your edits. Learn. Learn how to write a script. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to write a script. And I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in my head, while I'm driving home in this imaginary world. Okay, so I don't win the Oscar for Anita because, you know, this is just training. But I won the Oscar for a future one. <laughs> and the future one, I'm going to win the Oscar for that. And I'm going to have this lovely acceptance speech. <laughs> And I'm just going to be the charm of. Uh, yeah, that, that's, well, I'm I'm glad to know that I'm not alone. I was actually it's funny because I actually I do I do go through that whole curve where I'm building on the crest of that fantasy, and all of a sudden I crash at the end of it because I get so embarrassed that I've allowed myself to go that far with it, and mm -hmm. then uh, and then I kind of beat myself up, and I you know I give myself a talking to you know for actually having enjoyed. You know that you know that time that I was immersed, you know, in this make-believe world that I created. And um, I was talking to an, um, another writer today mm -hmm. about an iteration of that because she was. I mean, you know, and I don't want to get political, but she um, there was a um, she was a she was a victim of abuse, mm -hmm. and and I mean broken arm victim of abuse, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, bruises on the side of your face. And she um, has, she's been quite traumatized by what's happening in the media. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And um, she, for the very first time in her life, she's a, she's a very self-contained individual and a lovely, lovely lady. For the very first time I, I've ever, I've ever seen, she actually went on a Facebook rant and oh, wow. she said, she said, you know, this is not okay, you know, you don't victim shame. And she it, basically, she said in her, with her particular situation, she actually had to go to court to get a restraining order. And she is in court with a broken arm and with um, bruises on the side of her face. And her, the person who had perpetrated this abuse upon her had hired a $500 an hour attorney to say she was um, just, she, it was actually makeup and she'd faked the accident to, you know, for sympathy. <sighs> and um, she basically said, you know, it doesn't work that way. And, 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 and she said, you know, if, you, if you're offended by this rant, I'm, you know, fine, unfriend me. I mean, I'm, I, I feel that strongly. And I sent her a, a message on her Facebook feed. And I said, look, I'm feeling all the emoticons for you because you know, I have, you know, I've been in situations too where I've, where I'm watching a political, on the political spectrum, something happening where the harm affects me directly. And I have these really dark fantasies mm -hmm. that I perpetrate on, on, you know, on the individual who's basically trying to create a direct harm against me. And mm -hmm. I get, and then when I come out of those fantasies, I get really embarrassed and I feel very bad about myself and I'm finding out that everybody does it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't beat up myself on myself too much about it because part of it's my own internal narcissism. I have no shame. I will admit it. I am a bit narcissistic. Um, but part of it's like, okay, I'm 
these are going to be my goals now. I'm going to make this happen. I am going to have the really nice house in Palm Springs and the condo in LA, you know, for when I have to do the Hollywood stuff. Um, <laughs> the house in Palm Springs is going to be the living house where I also have my bookstore and speakeasy uh, because, you know, got to have a speakeasy. You have it all planned out. You do. Yeah, I got to have, and especially in Palm Springs because, you know, Palm Springs, you got to keep it weird. And. Yeah. <laughs> Mike just got back from Palm Springs, so keep going. Oh, I love Palm Springs. Absolutely love it. And I want to open up a bookstore there and have, like, theme nights and everything. Make it, like, a really community, like, almost like a community center for writers and artists. Um, very cool. That's yeah, very cool. So, yeah, so I'm like, okay, these are going to be my goals now. These are the things that are going to happen, so I don't beat myself up too much about it. Um, Michelle? Yes. What about you? I know. I'm. I'm. I'm just enjoying the conversation tonight. Um, do you go, Do you do that? Do you find? Do you? Do you? Are you? Do you? Are you a person that fantasizes and then you kind of caught your, catch yourself out on your own fantasies and go, "Oh my God, what have I just done?" I do. I've. I've. I've started to now. Um, I just want like not nothing. Not the the. Um, Pulitzer yet, but I won two. No Pulitzer's no, no second um, home. <laughs> you won, I won two, two, two small journalism awards for some writing that I did for a newspaper in San Diego. So now it's like, oh, okay, so people are actually like recognizing, and it's not just my mom telling me like, oh, you're good. Uh, it's like performing yeah. calls. So now it's I really just I've had th this one idea for a story. I've had it for. I don't even know how long, seven years. And I've started a draft and I, I tossed it because I wrote myself into a corner. And now it's starting to pick up steam again. So my fantasy right now is to finish the damn thing. Okay. And I'm going right. to finish that's, that's, that's a fair one. You see, I don't know if we ever told you because I actually gave up writing for a number of years. I no. stopped. Yeah. Uh, when Michelle, when we lived in Texas, I actually gave it a full, um, honest, honest to God go, a good old college try to do it, and I kept spinning my wheels, and nothing was coming of it, nothing was happening. Um, I was just, I was miserable there, because um, I'm a California girl, I'm not a Texas girl, and, <laughs> and it just, yeah, it just wasn't happening, and so when we got back to California, um, my husband was struggling to find a job. I needed a job and I ended up working in the travel agency with Michelle in that wonderful call center where we lost our souls. Um, and, and then, family. yeah. And in that time I stopped writing. I was just like, this isn't for me. It's not going to happen for me. And, um, and so I just, I just focused on, I still love to read and I just kept reading. And that's how she and I bonded was over books because we wouldn't work and would just actually read instead of actually work. Um, and so I, she, she actually read a short, like a little bit of a short story, a little bit of something that I had started at one point. And she was like, why aren't you writing? You need to be writing. To the point where she would actually tag other authors and articles about writing when she would send uh -huh. them so that they would nag me too. So that I would then start writing. And so finally I started writing again and it was because of her. So wow. now it's my turn. Michelle, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> I can be very annoying when I need to be. 
If you need her to nag you about writing and be your nagging person, she can totally do it. She's really great at it. I yeah, feel but, so her husband. My problem now is not writing. My problem is actually getting away from it. Mm, I don't have that problem. I'm now, well, listen, I'm turning into the cliche. I'm turning into the little old guy who pounds at his, um, at his computer and screams at the dog you know, across the street because it's too loud, you know, or, or something. I mean, I'm becoming so intense right now that I'm actually scaring myself. Once you start writing like that, like, like once you get in your blood where you actually start to do it and you really start focusing on it, that happens, it happens with me and Ryan every now and then is like, all right, he'll make a point of being, okay, you cannot be a hermit. I am taking you out. We are going out. We are going to a party. We are going to socialize. We are going to do stuff. And he will drag me kicking and screaming to, to events and things yeah. um, because, no, 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 I need to write. Well, I'm the, you know, listen, um, my day, I mean, I'm, I'm now in a position where I can be a full-time writer, which, um, <laughs> you know, is a blessing and a curse. And it's more blessing than curse. But I, um, now that I'm, so dialed in with my manuscript and getting so you know um, excited about it, I wake up and I set my alarm for seven. I usually get up, you know, before, I'm almost always up before my alarm goes off. And I go into the kitchen, I drink a glass of water, and I come and sit in front of the computer before I even eat breakfast. <laughs> I will normally what I'll do is I will actually read through what I've written the prior day and. Um, and and clean it up and then i'll start working on you know where i want to move it to you know over the course of the day and once i get that set in my head and get all that rhyming done then i go and make breakfast you know sometimes i don't get to breakfast till like 9 30 or something and i can it, it can be really really weird and i just lose track of time i lose mm -hmm. track of time and i lose track of myself and i have a standing lunch um um date with my best friend Ian um, every Thursday and mm -hmm. I will go to lunch with him and I'm still when you write and you're concentrating that hard over such a long period of time it wires itself and mm -hmm. I will go to lunch and I will be so intense mm -hmm. even I'm frightening myself and I can't I can't unwind myself while I'm talking to him. And I, I even asked him, I said, you know, how do you bear it? He goes, he goes, ah, I'm just used to it. <laughs> and you know, the same thing, you know, and I feel so bad for Mike sometimes because I will get, you, I can't stop my brain from firing. It's just firing on all <laughs> cylinders. And, you know, and, and um, everything is so intense. Yeah. And, um, but we, so we, everything else when I'm in writing mode like pure writing mode dishes don't get done laundry doesn't get done husband had to learn how to do his own laundry um, because I <laughs> the only saving grace I could say is that um, I don't have a lot of mental stamina and mm -hmm. my brain will get to the point where I it's just all of a sudden it's bogged down and I can tell the cylinders are just moving sluggishly and that way and that's when I when I go okay and I force myself to walk away from the computer and I spend time with my husband mm -hmm. you know we go take a walk or we go in the backyard you know and just kind of hang out and look at the sky mm -hmm. and then and then I recharge and I come back and do it mm -hmm. but um every I don't have weekends and weekdays right now Mm -hmm. I was I a period where I'll have like an evening where I just can't work. 
Like I'll go straight on because I'll go from the job and at the job, I'll have my little lectern notebook that I use for when it's slow. I'll write down notes and write down, you know, little sketch out little scenes during my lunch breaks. I'll either read or I will write out scenes for like, I'll spend the whole hour just sitting and eating my lunch and working and writing. And then I'll yeah. come home and I'll type it up and I'll work until about midnight, just typing up the scene and working and writing. Yeah, you're and <laughs> yeah, he works at night, so he doesn't. This doesn't bother. Oh, yeah, oh, that's right. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So, and I'll get up at uh, six thirty in the morning and do it all over again. And on the weekends, I get up, I write, I'll sit, like I'll sit with him on the couch while he's watching TV and stuff. But I am writing. There's either a laptop or a book in my lap. Now, to be fair, to be fair, uh -huh. I do the same thing too, and I don't feel that bad about it because Mike also has his laptop and he's on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> He lives on eBay because he has this, um, he has this, um, he, he's a Eurythmics um, memorabilia collector, the, the, the musical group Eurythmics and yep. Annie Lennox. Mm -hmm. He, I, I think I've mentioned it before, he is, he collects their memorabilia and he is always on eBay looking for the next Holy Grail. Right, and he's so, a Star Wars guy, so he's, he's got his Star Wars stuff or uh, for a while it was Pokemon, so he'll be playing Pokemon. Um, yeah. While I'm writing, so yeah. But I'm I'm guessing Mike has a couple thousand pieces of Eurythmics memorabilia. I mean, he has that much. We Ryan's an autograph collector. We have, oh, really? yeah, we've got thousands of autographs. <laughs> and this is including hockey. He's got hockey autographs, um, actual celebrity autographs. Uh, for Christmas, he's getting cool. from um, Star Wars. The new Star Wars, Daisy. I don't, yeah. see, but I, don't I know that's. I don't think that's right. Uh, Daisy, Daisy Play Ray. What is it? Ray in uh, the last Star Wars, Star Episode yeah, Seven. What's her name? Daisy. Ugh, she's you so see, cute. She, you know, I like her. I went on a um, epic D Ridley. It is Daisy Ridley. Okay. okay. I went on an epic nerd rage rant because I am an Oscar Isaac's fangirl. Um, and I was like, she's not as good as Isaac, or as Isaac, she really isn't. And I was just like going off on it. And partially it was because I'm bitter because this is his Christmas present and it's an expensive Christmas present for an autograph. He's, and yeah, it's $350 for an oh, wow. 10. Oh, wow. Originally he wanted the big one, which was $450. Oh. <laughs> and... Yeah. He's dropped down to 350 and yeah, it was, yeah, I went on epic nerve rage and I'm like, she's, she's not even, she's not legendary like Carrie Fisher, and we could get about as much as for Carrie Fisher. I, I, I just, you know, Mike does the same thing. He will drop a couple hundred pounds on, you know, on one of those little seven-inch singles mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, and yeah, so, but, um... He loves it, so I just let him do yeah. it. It's their hobbies, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. As long as long as it doesn't break the bank, as long as we can still pay rent and, and put food on the table. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, yeah. There's a little bit of a balance there, but I can't. I don't have any room to talk because I have this. But you can't see. But I'm surrounded by my little whimsy art collection. We have seen some of the art. You're so quiet tonight, Michelle. 
I know. I don't know why. I think I'm oh my gosh, that's so cute. For those of you who are listening, that is a green and white polka dot chicken. <laughs> chicken ceramic chicken, and his oh, name is. Ceramic. It looks cloth. Yeah, and his name is um, Broken Egbert. Oh, <laughs> uh, Broken Egbert looks very special, guys. And then I've got, you know, I have this entire collection of two-dimensional vases from this artist by the name of Alice Rose. Yeah, I it's really yeah. crazy stuff. Cool. I, I probably have, um, I mean, I have an entire room full of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't even know. Look, okay, here's Mrs. Sprague Robin. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't say anything because I spend money on this stuff. Mm -hmm. So he buys, buys your rhythmics memorabilia and I buy that. Ryan has been relieved, is very relieved because I get uh, so many advanced readers copies of books that I don't really buy books anymore. You know, there's only like the research books I buy. That's what I end up buying. At, yeah. at this and he's so relieved over that because I used to spend a lot of money on books. <laughs> Did either of you follow that controversy on Twitter about that woman who was selling her arcs? Yes, on Facebook I saw that. Yeah, that was that was wild. Um, she she got a lot of hate. Yeah, I remember you actually stepped in there with that. But yeah, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, um, you know, for those of us who do book blogging, and even here on Wine One Words, we'll get books for free. That's just something that authors do. They get a write off for it. Um, and they will give the, but they will give the book to people like us to promote, read, and talk about. And and so oftentimes, we, you know, we'll ask for the book. Sometimes they'll solicit to us, and you know, it's seen as it's not cool to go ahead and sell those books. That's like a book reviewer's no-no. Well, I guess one. Do you mind if I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Because okay. you get the author's perspective, you get the book reviewer's perspective. Yeah, it's actually more complicated than that. And um, because. Uh, yeah, I was just doing the, the, the basic groundwork of it. Yeah, what we provide is this thing called an advanced reader copy that you mentioned, and it's actually not the completed book. It's actually um, a pre bound copy of the book. Well, sometimes, like for example, with Little Fires Everywhere, that's the full oh, copy. Yeah, actual book? Okay. Yeah, that's All right. Well, this was, this I was, have some. In fact, I can actually show some so that, you know, for those of you who are watching, you can see. Um, here's one. One I just got. Uh, Jennifer Lamb will be on in March. Uh, Lost Season of Love and Snow. This is one of those cases where it's an uncorrected proof. Yep. So as you can see here, it says uncorrected proof. It's got the white border around it, so it's not the full cover. And there will be typos in the book. Yes. Um, yes. But it also, let me show you. But it will also say... Some will, some will say not for resale. Some yeah, will. There's some dozen. Oh, they don't all say that? I thought they all did. Not all of them. Okay, um, yeah. On ARCs, I thought ARCs would say marketing publicity campaign, uncorrected advance copy, not for sale. But here's the story, um, as, as, um, as I say, because I actually spoke to that lady. Mm -hmm. I actually had a conversation with her because I felt bad for her. Yeah, you were, see, you're so wonderful because, you know, so many of us, it's so easy to, and I'm trying not to be this person anymore. But it's so easy to grab your pitchfork and be like, oh, hell yeah. no. Because yeah. I saw it secondhand. I saw it from Amy um, Tamblin, I think is the last name. Yeah, a a a Amy Tamblin. Uh, Amy, Amy, um, 
See, this is what happens when you have a, a glass and a half of wine. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, she's actually going to be on the show in June. Um, God, wait, wait. This is embarrassing. Amy's a, Amy's a friend of mine. All right, I'll think of it in a second. I'm going to tell the story as I see it, and you and yes, you help definitely. me fill it in. Okay, yes. so um, this woman had gone has um, facilitated. Trumbly, Trumbly, Amy. Yes, Trumbly. there we go. Thank you. Um, this woman that we're talking about facilitates several Facebook groups that are, are groups that are for people who are are, are um, bibliophiles, people who love books. And this one particular book is a site where people go on it and they post arcs, advanced reader copies that they've received for sale. And there, are, you know, and. Uh, all these authors got up in arm over, arms over this site because um, for a couple of reasons. One, it says on the advanced reader copy, not for sale. Mm -hmm. Secondly, as an advanced reader copy, it is uncorrected and there are mistakes and that just, that's horrifying to an author that the world at large hasn't gone through. Yeah, there's going to be typos. You're, you've yeah. got a copy who will go through and make sure that this looks pretty enough for sale. Yeah, and that's part of the reason we give out the arc is for so this so this captive audience will help us find those those errors and we'll correct it before the final before the final proof. But this is what most people don't know. And that is that ninety seven percent of authors live below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And You're even the sale person. even the sale of one book is significant to them mm -hmm. because you know um, the, those numbers add up very very quickly. And if somebody's getting a book for free and then they're turning around and they're making the profit that you never made in the first place, yeah, that's that's wrong. Because I mean, you consider the fact that okay, when you sell a book, typically royalties are like what no more than ten percent of the sale yeah. of a book. So right. you figure, like your book, "Lemon Collie Life of Annie Astor," is on sale right now for two dollars on Kindle if right. you want to buy it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. You're going to get maybe 10% of that. So that's right. even a full dollar for one sale of that book because so much goes to other things. And so by getting this book from somebody, from an author, you're getting money out of their pocket. Yes, they can write it off as a promotion uh, for taxes, theoretically. theoretically. But it's still money out of their pocket. It's still... It's like you're taking a piece of art from an artist yes. and yeah. without paying for it and then turning around and reselling that art. And that's, it's really rude and it's really ungrateful. When I get a book from an author, I feel so grateful for, for getting the book and I love the books and I try to read every single one of them. I actually managed somehow to get on HarperCollins um, book review list. Yeah. So yeah, I'm getting a lot of books from them. So I'm. It's going to take me a very long time to read them all. But you know, it's you know, it's something nice that people do, and you don't want to turn around and resell a gift. You know, regifting a gift is seen as being a, a, a not really a good thing. Reselling yeah. a gift is even worse. Well, and so if you look at the math, um, if a person resells an arc, mm -hmm. they the author basically just lost two sales, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and somebody else has made money off of their work. Absolutely, so yeah. It gets, it gets very complicated very quickly. But what had happened was, you know, this, this had just gone viral on Twitter and on Facebook, and people were just ragging on this poor lady. And um, she had made the mistake of getting defensive. Mm -hmm. and she 
it's that you know my book my 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 facebook group my rules mm -hmm. and then you know, all hell rang down on her from the authorship quarter and um uh, one of my author friends um, had posted, you know, what she her, had done a screen capture of her post and put it on her own wall, and people were commenting and were just laying into this. this yeah, oh, and it was kind of too mean because I don't want to. You see it so much now that it's so easy for the people with the pitchforks to come running after yeah. you for making one okay. bad tweet. I mean, I watched the last few Family Guys. Um, I've seen what ha what's happened to poor Brian the dog for making one poorly made racist, somewhat racist tweet. Um, I, I see how that can happen. And I'm, I've been making conscious, uh, conscientious effort for the a while now not to be one of those people because there's enough, there's enough crap going on in the world to get up in arms. Yeah, I mean, yeah no kidding. Well, what happened was, for, for, with, with me, I had seen her in this, she was actually responding to, you know, four or five different people, right, in real time. Uh -huh. So people were saying, but, 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 and, but, 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 and at one point in the early, you know, in the, um, uh, at an early point within this comment thread, she had said, it wasn't me, it was another woman, and I have actually stopped the practice on my wall, mm -hmm. and, you know, within my group, and, um, but people weren't really hearing it, and, mm -hmm. uh, then she made the mistake of kind of throwing somebody else under the bus because I think she was simply afraid, and yeah. she, you know, and then people were getting on her case for that. So what mm -hmm. I did was I simply went behind the scenes and I sent her a private message saying, "Listen, I'm I'm following this this commentary this comment thread, and um, I just want to let you know that I heard what you wrote or that I heard what you said, you know, um, and I want to thank you." For um, for having stopped the practice, because what I don't think you understand is I explained to her about how most authors live under the under under the poverty line, and I explained to her the consequences of you know of of selling an arc and how that means an author loses two sales and somebody else makes a profit, and we're and we're talking about a person who maybe you know is struggling to pay their rent, and she came back to me, she said, thank you, thank you, thank you for speaking to me. And she mm -hmm. goes, I understand, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to make amends. And she said, can you please stand up for me? <laughs> and I was like, bless her heart, you know, bless her heart. Yeah. She was a complete stranger to me, but she was being eviscerated. So I went on social media because you're like the social media warrior. Um, me? I love how you like, well, you stand up for for gay rights, and you yeah. get right on in there, and I will cheer you on as much as I can because there are some people who are real assholes out there. And have you read some of the stuff that people have said to me on Facebook? Yes, I mean Michelle and I. I mean, they we 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 learned firsthand working in a call center what it's like dealing with people over the phone who because they cannot see you because they are not face to face with you. They think they can say or do whatever they want. Um, I think she and I both at different times have been brought to tears by people being yeah. so mean to us over the phone. And yeah, people uh. are just on the internet. It's the same way. And so yeah, I, I'll cheer you on when I can. And I'm I'm a little bummed that we didn't have that social media campaign because I was like, I am. We're gonna have you on for it. I'm gonna be all behind. <laughs> <you." laughs> well, all I can tell you is that I have. Um, because I'm a gay man, and because I have been persecuted my entire life, 
um, um, I have a very acute sense of moral outrage. Mm -hmm. And when I, I, can ex I can experience it even tangentially. And um, I, I have a lot of empathy for the underdog. And so um, when people were going after her and she was trying to correct her behavior and she wasn't being as articulate as she could be, Mm -hmm. And she was being a little more defensive than necessary, but that didn't matter. She was still trying to correct her behavior. And yeah. I saw this as a two-tiered issue. One, she needed to be acknowledged for trying to correct her behavior. So I went behind the scenes and did it so that my own friends would meet me alive <laughs> for doing it. And the second thing was, um, I figured, you know, if we handled this properly, she could become the biggest advocate for author rights, you know, out there once she understands how this really works so you know, I had I had a great conversation with her and then you know when I could because when I'm writing and I get crazy I take a break and I go on Facebook for 10 minutes and I just kind of scroll and if I would see it and it was being posted everywhere everybody was commenting so I would just go in and say hey just let you know I had a private conversation with this lady and this is what this is how what transpired and I was just trying to you know um, I mean just cool off, give everybody, you know, put send everybody to the corner, you know, mm -hmm. so to speak, give them a moment to cool off. And, you know, and I think it worked. But yeah. it is a tricky issue. People don't understand. I worked for nine years. Let me call you life of any answer. Yeah. And that book sells for $10. Mm -hmm. So you get you got ten you get nine years of my life for ten dollars you know of, of of my blood sweat and tears and today you know my my ten years of effort is being sold for a dollar ninety nine and you know and you know we can discuss you know all the permutations around that um, but people get offended you know when mm -hmm. they have to pay ten dollars for a novel. Yet they will walk down the street and, and spend $6 on a birthday card that took three, two or three minutes to make. Or $6 on a cup of coffee. On a cup of coffee. On a cup of coffee. Yeah. Go to Starbucks. It's like almost $6 for a cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean. So if we're talking about, we're talking about a very complex environment, you know, and, you know, and authors are like teachers, you know, I, I think that there's a, um, certain that we don't appreciate the full breadth of what happens within an author's life. Yeah, because yeah, you see what happens, you just see the end result. You don't see the whole process of it. You don't see the research. You don't see everything else that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you're expected to be politically perfect. You know, mm -hmm. um, your book is then handed out to the world. It's your child. It's then handed out to the world, and they get to examine it any way they want to, and they get to say whatever the hell they please. And then they go, get to go and plaster it all over Amazon or Goodreads, and they get to say, mm -hmm. you know, this person is an idiot. This person sucks. And yeah, that's one of the things I've taken no, with, the, with, the, with my book reviews is that I've taken the stance of there's there's very few books that I will actually tear apart. They have to really hit every single bad. And there are and there are books out there that do that, that that will hit all the awful tick boxes, right? Yeah. Yes, and I will if they hit all the awful tick boxes, then I will go after them. Um, there's a few that come to mind, but I will not say them. 
Um, <laughs> I know which ones you're thinking of too. I know you do. <laughs> um, so for the for the for the for my blog, I won't do a bad book review. It, it, my my basic gauntlet is if you've made it far enough where I'm going to actually review the book, then yeah. it's a good yeah. book. Otherwise, I'm not going to review. It. And here, we actually do a pre pre screening of the books. Yeah. Um, yep. Before they come on to see, okay, you know, how are we going to like them? And we'll read them in time for the month, um, you know, during the month when the author's on. Because, I mean, that also takes a lot of the, okay, hey, you're here face-to-face -face with me. I'm not going to tell you face-to-face, -face, I hate your book. When I did my first interview with you, I was like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> you already had my book review. Yeah, so, I know, but I but I had forgotten. But I, you know, listen. Being an one of the requirements of being an author, also, and 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 bless you, you're part of this too. Is we're all dingy. <laughs> we don't always connect all those dots. Okay, and but but also, let's also take into consideration you found me. That's true. That's true. I figured. Okay, <laughs> we already kind of knew what was going to happen because you found me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you know, true. The well, why I don't do bad book reviews is because because of situations like that where you found me online and you're like, oh, hey, thank you for the book review, and other authors have done similar things. So I do that bad that book review. I'm just waiting for that one author to be like, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's Talk look at the bad let me, book review. Let me play the devil's advocate. Uh huh. Because I understand how troubles troubling that can be as well. Mm -hmm. Um. A a person who is buying a product wants to know what they're getting into. Yes, yeah, true. And so if you, you know, if everybody goes, is of the mind, you know, I'm not going to review a book if I can't, you know, say something good about it, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is problematic because how many books are published a week? How many hundreds of thousands of books are published a week under self-publishing? Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a lot of white noise out there. So mm -hmm. and I appreciate, you know, an honest review. Of course, mm -hmm. of course. I only want a five-star review, and I'm going to be kind of like, hmm, if I didn't get a five-star <laughs> review, damn it, nine years, nine years. <laughs> but let me tell you something. The minute I go onto Amazon and I see a book and I look at its reviews and it has a rating of 4.9 out of 5, I hold the review suspect. Wouldn't you? Like, yeah. those are manufactured reviews. Uh -huh. you know, like, there I are don't some that are out there that are manufactured, that are pure manufactured reviews. Um, there was the YA, you heard about the YA author recently, right? Yes, yes. What was the name of that book? Oh, gosh, I don't even remember the name of the book. Do you, uh, it was like some sort of roast thing. Did you hear about this controversy, Michelle? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so, yeah, she bought her we're That's trying so to make you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just completely. I'm just. I'm yeah, you've had a long day. You just had a long day. You just, sit, you just sit there. And, yeah, you just sit there and nod wisely. We'll just let them. We'll just. We'll just tell everybody she's nodding wisely. Sitting <laughs> <laughs> there looking pretty. Um. Yeah. I wasn't going to say that. But I was. I wanted to say that. I was like, well, that will sound really misogynistic. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I can say it because, because yeah, I'm the BFF and I can get away with saying things like that. Yeah. I said, sure. 
So get back to the controversy. Okay, so this woman basically, there were, you know, that's one of the other things with book reviews is that they generate the buzz for a book that's coming out, that's going to come out. You want that buzz to come out before your book comes out so that people want to buy it. And there was no buzz about this book. Nobody within the YA community had reviewed this book. And there are a ton of YA blogs out there. Everybody, there's, they're constantly reviewing books. If they know a book that's going to come out two years from now, Thank you. Um, yeah. They are so on top of it. And all of a sudden, this book was on the bestseller list, was number one spot. Number one. Yeah, number one. Nobody heard of it. No book reviews. Went and from zero, nobody hears of it, to number one. And it knocks the hate, the hate you give out of the number one spot, which yes. was sitting at number one for like 15 weeks, right? Yes, because that was a very well-deserved book, from what I understand. Yes, absolutely. I haven't read it yet, but I read the re reviews. And then, on top of it, the author and a couple of, and another person has an IMDb page for the movie version <laughs> that's going to come out. I mean, talk about, you know, we had this discussion about our fantasy <laughs> for our, our lives, <laughs> for our books and yeah. things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was this major controversy about can you buy your way onto the bestsellers list? Because what it turned out that they did was somebody, we don't know exactly who, called in to all the bookstores and said, I want to order these books. I want to order Oh, no, they were more diabolical than that. They found out, they would call into the bookstore and say, are you a reporting agency for the New York Times bestsellers list? Mm -hmm. And if they said yes, they would order a block of books from only mm -hmm. that store. So now keep going. Yeah, and then they got caught because I wasn't the author of the hate that you give um, the one who called them out on it, or somebody somebody no, called them no. out on it. No, it was it was a blogger who was like, "Hey, wait a second, does anybody see something weird with this? I don't even know what this book is." Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's it's a number one. It's you know, it's not the hate you give out of the top slot. It's that's not. That's like, you know, um, being struck by lightning when it's when the sky is clear. Yeah. You know, you know, it's it just can't happen. And and did you go on Amazon and check its ratings? Because I did I didn't. I have not. Goodreads, I, I let, let's I don't even remember the name of the book because yeah, you go on there, it's it's just jacks up. Cause I mean there are there are, and there are people who will do it who are like, Oh, I got this book review and this book and an advanced copy of this book and it was so wonderful. I loved everything about it. And then you see, I've seen it with other authors where the, and the same exact review will be given by somebody else, five star. And there, there was a few, there was uh, a few that I've seen that will give the book five stars before it even comes out. <laughs> I'm so excited for this book. It's going to be so awesome. Oh my God, guys, I cannot wait. Five stars. Well so this, in this particular case, it blew up in this person's face. Yeah. And, the, you know, and, and, and the book disappeared. It just completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I guess bully to them for trying, you know, for mm -hmm. giving it a college try, you know, that's, that's cool. so nice. Yeah. Well, that well, that's capitalism at work in some ways. I mean, it wasn't illegal. It was just, mm -hmm. you know, diabolical and manipulative and, and apparently, the people who did get a hold of the book said it reads like a draft. You know? mm. But let's go even further. 
And audience, I'm not getting political. I'm just using this as a as a you know an authorship example. What about Hillary Clinton's book when it released? Did you see what happened? <laughs> Yeah. Did you see that? Was like all these negative reviews all of a sudden. Well, the um, the first day it was released, um, it had a um, out of a, on a five scale, it had gotten fifteen hundred reviews in one day, and it had a review rating of two point seven, mm -hmm. which yeah. is pretty much horrid, right? Uh -huh. But if you switch the algorithm within Amazon to go from all reviewers to only verified purchases, mm -hmm. it's, review rating went from 2.7 to 4.8. Yeah, it, it's, it's some bullshit where this happened. There's another author where that happened too. She happened to actually stand up to some KKK members. Uh, she was a Jewish author. She stood up to some KKK members and the KKK launched this... Um, yeah. Media, yeah, they launched a social media attack against her, and went for went for the jugular and just gave her all bad reviews uh, on her That's just her it is. And the thing is, if you understand how Amazon works, you can go mm -hmm. and switch the algorithm and see who actually purchased the book, and you can actually figure out. You know, I mean, my guess is if somebody checked that book out and they switched from all reviewers to verified purchases only, the review rating would have gone through the roof. Yeah, which I think Amazon needs to start doing that for books. They do that for when you purchase products that it's a verified purchase, and they need to start doing that for books too. Uh, and since they own Goodreads, I think they need to do that too, which yeah. kind of make it hard for those of us who do blogging because we get the advanced reader's copy, so we're not a verified purchase. But then again, we also have we have our we have our blogs. Which and, we go and, well, but you also can you can post a review and, and it'll show up under all reviews and you can say I received a copy for you know in, in return for an honest review, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can so, I'm, I'm bad about posting I receive I'm bad about posting the fact that I've got an ARC because I just assume you know what? I'm a blog. Just assume yeah. it's an ARC. I, I, I equate myself along with the newspapers, not that necessarily as good as the newspapers, but I equate myself with the newspapers because I say, okay, just assume I've got an art because I'm a book reviewer. Just yeah. automatically assume it and we'll but, go from there. But I guess the whole point of this conversation is since the, you know, your audience can't see us, I'm basically just trying to illustrate the terrain that we have to navigate on a daily basis. Well, they see now with the audience, they can see us and they, they can't because this also goes it's live on YouTube. So we'll be on our oh, YouTube. I didn't know that. Yeah, we're going to be live. We're live on YouTube. Um, so we will be, it'll be posted on YouTube. So we have two sets of audience. We've got YouTube and then we also have, uh, we're on iTunes um, and also on Google Play and podcast.com and all over the place, but primarily um, iTunes for podcasts and stuff because everybody uses iTunes. I'm one of the few people who don't use, don't use an Apple. You, oh, you too! Wow. Hey. I'm horrible. Listen, I, listen. I'm horrible. I have never purchased a song in my life. Never I, purchased I, on iTunes. On I've never downloaded one. I'm, I apologize. I, I, just, I just drove down. I just drove down to St. Luke's um, um, shopping center um, three days ago and bought two CDs. Who buys CDs? <laughs> I don't buy CDs anymore. I. I that's all I buy. Smith CD on your car in your car. I this yeah and listen listen I don't have Spotify I have an iTunes account I've never used it 
Except to, uh, when I, uh, I don't know how they connect, but you know when I when I buy a movie on you know on on, on Apple when TV, I I out next, when I come out, because I'm saying next year, because it's already almost 2018. But when I come out there, am I going to need to teach you how to do that? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, but it's it, regardless. The terrain we navigate is unbelievably bumpy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, writer, I, I started watching the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and she there's a point. It's a new show on Amazon. Oh my God, you've got to watch it. It's fantastic. I love every every minute of it. It's from um, okay, uh, the same people who did um, um, oh the Gilmore Girls. Amy. Oh, you're kidding me. All right, yeah. all right, all right. I'll so check it out. And it's and she goes and she does the comedy and she asks a comedian. Do you love it? And he's like, if I could be anything else in the world, I would be that. And she's like, but do you love it? And the guy's like, eh, and shrugs. I feel that way with writing. If I could just be a paralegal and just do my own thing, come home, have a glass of wine, and do nothing else, maybe read a book, I would do that. But yeah. writing is in the blood. I can't not write to the point where I don't understand people who don't write, who don't try to yeah, like write or do I'm, stuff. What I'm do you the same way. I'm the same way. I my every day is an adventure, and I spend a lot of time. I spend so much time being twisted in knots throughout the throughout the course of a day when I can't construct the exact perfect sentence that I know you know, what I'm trying to convey requires. And mm-hmm. I will pass up in the knots over it and I will yell at myself and I will yell at my laptop. Mm-hmm. And yet I would not, and you would think that I absolutely loathed my occupation, my vocation, but I absolutely adore it. It's incredibly mm-hmm. intense and mm-hmm. it makes me, intense, and it makes me a weird person as a result. And, yeah. um, and I, I have, have to that I feel I have to tell. I have a list of stories that need to be told that I have to tell if I don't get these stories out, I'm just, it's not right, it's not okay. I did something today. I, I wrote a scene, in that scene was a metaphor. <laughs> Nobody laugh. Okay. But I, this, this was the most exquisite and perfect metaphor in the history of metaphors. <laughs> and my day was made. You know, just by having written these two paragraphs. <laughs> and this metaphor involved a puddle at a, that had collected at a curb and a street lamp and the reflection of the street lamp in the puddle and a June bug. Oh, oh. The slow <laughs> writing that I'm working on is just going to be all metaphors because it deals with a vineyard and it deals with a man who lost everything. Uh, this is yeah. the slowly writing in between other projects because I'm really wanting to focus on it like you're doing with your current book or just yeah. one at a time and it's about a man who who shows up in uh, America who lost everything on his uh, in on his way to California and all he has left is a a plant a wine plant a great a great plant and oh. else is, everything everything else that he's ever loved and ever known is gone and he's there starting over in California on his own. And it's just going to be metaphor city. Yeah, yeah. Well, all I can tell you, and that sounds beautiful. 
but all I can tell you is that, can I say this? <laughs> when you write something, even if it's only a couple paragraphs and it hits that, writing can hit your G-spot. Yeah. It can just, I mean, it's, What? That's, I mean, I was just, that was another metaphor. There you go. That was another metaphor. It was a great metaphor because it was a perfect metaphor because it sums up everything beautifully. Michelle, no, the face that you had, look at, that you had on your face, Michelle, was just this look of, I want to get there one day. Just because I haven't talked about fantasizing about winning Emmys or Pulitzers, yeah. and I have Pulitzers, doesn't mean that I don't love writing just as much or... Yeah. I, you know, I don't doubt it. I do not doubt it for a minute. Because, I mean, you've got the journalism thing, and you, with two kids, you're actually still trying to write a book. That is something to be commended. So I I'm not, I'm not doubting that you just, the look on your face was just <laughs> classic there. I thought um, I was like, oh no, did I cross the line by saying? No. Please, if I'm friends with Diana, there is no line that anyone can ever cross. <laughs> Maybe it's really squiggly. It's just really squiggly line. You know, I'm the kind of person who sees the line and I'm like, ooh, something to step over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what I do. That's my, that's my superpower. No, I just I'm I'm jealous of you guys because I can't I don't have that kind of time that I can dedicate to writing. Like I wrote a thousand words this morning at five o'clock after I woke up at four thirty to take a shower before my kids woke up. Mm -hmm. And as and soon as like of, what kind of writing was it? It's the book that I'm writing on, which is kind of like writing. a it's it's a kind of a twisted sequel to The Wizard of Oz, but nowhere near like anything like Wicked or anything related to it. Um, but it's wow. just that world taken in a different direction. I can tell you that um, if, at, if by the end of the day, there is a sum total of a thousand words more than there was the prior day, I count it to be a very good day for me because I delete more words than I write. You know, I did a NaNoWriMo prep talk, and um, Ernest Hemingway only wrote 500 words a day. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And T.S. Eliot, it was right around the same amount. And T.S. Eliot, he he had a he had a day job before he actually like stopped, stopped to do his you know writing full time. Here's the, let's go back to to Hemingway. This is mm -hmm. a fascinating thing. Hemingway, you know, only wrote 500 words a day. Um, mm -hmm. Yet Hemingway was known for the simplicity, the exquisite simplicity of his writing. Mm -hmm. That shows you how much work it is to make writing clear yeah. and concise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he had to agonize, you know, every day to, to mm -hmm. whittle it down to those 500 words that, you know, that 501 words would have been too much, 499 words would have not have been enough. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that's, I mean, that's extraordinary to think about it. And I, I'm just saying, you know, when I get through with the end of my writing day or I get close to it, I go and I, I highlight the, mm -hmm. the scene that I've written and I count, I do a word count mm -hmm. just, to, just to kind of see where I am. And, um, you know, if I, and like right now I'm writing about a thousand words a day and that's, you know, with a good four solid hours at the computer. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I spend more time in writing because I will walk out in the yard and yell at a butterfly because <laughs> the writing isn't going where I want it to, or I will, um, I, you know, I, I trick myself into clearing my brain in the, in the, in the weirdest ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll go and, and wash dishes mm-hmm. that don't even need to be washed. <laughs> I mean, I do really, really wash my dishes. Things. Yeah, seriously, you if you need to clear your mind. What's that? We've already established I'm not washing my dishes, so can you come wash my yeah, dishes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, but that makes it, i got to go eat my dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's midnight for Michelle, so she's... Oh, Michelle, bless your heart. No, it's, uh, some, you know, sometimes I'm the talker and Diana's the listener and some days Diana's the talker and I'm the listener and I was the listener tonight. <laughs> <laughs> as long as no one's doing any slow breathing while listening, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, or snoring, please. Yeah, no snoring, no snoring, as long as they're not snoring. <laughs> I don't know. When Scott's on, I don't think we put anybody to sleep. It's always fun and entertaining. I'm going to have to go listen to the interview. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't listen to my interviews because I don't like the sound of my own voice. Oh, me neither. I never listen to us. No no more than... Transcribing interviews in journalism is one of the most painful things, parts of my job, because I have to listen to myself on tape. Yeah, I I just... do you remember what it was like the first time you heard your recorded voice? Yeah. And do you remember, I mean, I don't know if it was like me where I was just completely flabbergasted about how Mickey Mouse-ish and nasally I sounded. I, not, when, yeah, not you, me, me. I am like, yeah, I'm like, no, not you, me. I feel that. <laughs> it sounded really bad. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I totally hear that. No, it's not you. I swear, I don't. <laughs> but, the, I yeah. Swear. I the first I time I heard it, I- <laughs> your voice is so much richer between your ears. You know when it's when it's coming up and you know and vibrating up your throat. Then mm-hmm. when you hear it out in the world coming back at your ears, it's very very strange. I wish I had the voice that I hear inside my head. It's crazy. Me too. Yeah, the, the voice that I hear isn't that great, but then when I hear it on tape, it's like, "Hi, my name is Michelle," and. I'd like to ask you some questions, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. there you have it. I don't have the New York accent anymore. No. Um, yeah. Well, what do we say to that, Michelle? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got a little, um, bit. You got a little my, bit going on. My Jersey accent only comes out, like, after multiple bottles of wine. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, Okay. My dear, when I drink beer and I don't drink beer. Well, that begs a question. What does my accent sound like? You sound like you have a, to me, I, you sound like you have a California accent to me, which is the non-accent accent. Occasionally a little bit of a touch of the Louisiana, especially when you, you say bless your heart. Bless her when, heart. When I say what? When I say bless what? When you say bless her heart, that's when Louisiana comes out because that's okay. such a very Southern thing. Um, yeah. I hear that because of this. That's such a southern phrase. And for those of you who are not familiar with "bless her heart," you need to go look it up. Do you hear Louisiana though in my accent at all? Very, very faintly. Only really, really certain words, but you have to know. Um, I have no one 
has yet guessed where I'm from when, um, when I'm introduced to them and we have a conversation. Ever, ever, ever. No one ever guesses the South. No one ever guesses the South. They're always putting me in California or in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I guess I some, of the, some of the Southern from some of the words, because I lived in the South, um, yeah. but it's mostly Californian. I get, a lot of times I'll get Canadian. People ask me if, I've, if I'm Canadian. Yeah. Um, okay. If, if they're really that. sensitive with it, with accents, because I've to get rid of that East Coast accent. I've elongated some of my vowels, so things like pocket uh, sounds different with me. Um, car that I I made this point of of, of changing it um, so it's elongated, so it sounds more <laughs> sometimes it sounds more Canadian than it does New York. Well, and the funny thing is, if you if you I'm surrounded with siblings. So I have a younger sister and I have an older brother and my parents. And if you heard any of them, you would know exactly where they're from immediately mm -hmm. because you can hear the Southern drawl um, in them. And, you know, and, and, the th and the thing that's it's just so strange, we went to the same schools and I, ne and I don't have, I just don't have it. But I can't even face the Southern accent well. Because you've been hanging out with Kiwis too long, Scott. No, I came out of the womb sounding like this. I'm telling you, I have never had a Southern accent. Funny weird. story before we, before we wrap up. Okay, so last year we went to Fiji. And yeah. and so we're, we're watching this little fish demonstration, and this Australian woman turns to Ryan and I, and she's like, so, are you Canadian or American? And we're like, American. She's like, okay, I can never tell the two apart. I always get you guys mixed up. And Ryan turns to her and goes, that's okay. We always get Australians and New Zealanders mixed up, so don't worry about it. Her face went three shades <laughs> of red, yeah. and she's like, oh, oh, no, no. And she's like, and, and this is how I can now tell them apart. And it's a really good thing. She's like, the difference between an Australian and a New Zealander is that an Australian or, or a Kiwi sounds like they're doing a really bad Australian accent. <laughs> You're kidding me. You know how I can tell the, you know how I can tell the difference? How? Australians sound like they're, they're playing the kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> there is a southern nasally twang to, that is to the way Australians speak. And uh -huh. that's and it's, you know, when I hear that, when I hear, when it sounds like they're playing a kazoo, I'm like, oh, Australian. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear, you know, you hear Mike, you know, who was born and raised in, in New Zealand. And there are variations of the Kiwi accent, of course, just like there are variations mm -hmm. of an American accent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, New Zealand is a much smaller country. Um, he, Mike sounds British. Hmm. Yeah, sounds I almost British, you know, because it's all, it's all part of that Commonwealth thing. But, um, he has the most un-Kiwi Kiwi accent I've ever heard. Mm. So, you know, for what it's worth. Well, anyway, and speaking of that, he's actually sitting there. What's that? I was going to say, oh, I didn't realize you were going to go on talking because I was, gonna, I was like, okay, thank you so much for joining us. Well, just kind of there with our... <laughs> you I did it again. <laughs> Sorry, okay. you go. All right. You go, Scott. Go ahead. No, it's just, I was just saying he's actually standing up there holding our dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, 
well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a wonderful time. You go have your dinner, Michelle, you go to bed, and I'm going to try to get some writing in before I go to sleep. Well, listen, ladies, thank you very much. I had a blast. I always have a blast with you. So let me get another book written so we can do this again. Yes. Well, you don't need a new book to come onto the show, but yes, we will gladly take a new book. After we stop recording, don't go away right away. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.